I think there's just been a couple where people have come to me and this is kind of at the beginning stages where you're answering questions. And one thing I have learned being an agent is as much as they try to teach you in the course that everything's black and white, right? So it was a 39, 44, but when you go to Scotia, you can get an exception. They don't teach you that, right? So at the beginning, right. I'm a rule follower. So following those guidelines, and then you find out kind of six months later, oh, Scotia will allow you exceptions. And you're kind of going back to the drawing board on what you were thinking in that circumstance. The most inspiring stories from today's most successful mortgage brokers. Join your host, Scott Peckford, on I Love Mortgage Brokering. Hey, Broker Nation. Welcome to Allen B. Rookie Mortgage Broker Podcast. Every Friday, we talk to a rookie who's making waves in the mortgage industry to find out what they're doing to succeed in today's competitive market. Today, I have Laura Bean. Laura is a mortgage agent who was licensed in November 2020. I love her last name. It's actually B-E-H-M, but it's pronounced Beam. I just think that's a cool name. In any case, in her first year, she funded 12 mortgages for five and a half million, and she's already done more than that this year, which is awesome. And one of the couple things I take from this conversation with her first, she shares an underwriting tip on income type and how it can impact how much you can qualify a client for. One of the things I started doing in this show is asking about like a problem file that came up and how they would solve it today because I think it's useful for you. We also talk about how she found her first 10 files and we go deep into this because she actually didn't do it in a traditional way. She just used her network. And so she reached out to her network and was able to close her first 10 files from reaching out to her network. And I get very specific on my questions with her. And finally, we talk about one of the surprising things about being a mortgage broker, about the things you do and do not have control over. Most people, we don't really understand the business till we get into it. So also today on my Ask the Expert segment, I talked to Ben from Bloom about what happens if house prices go down. If you have a first mortgage, check that out. Before we jump into this episode, let me give a shout out to our title sponsor, Finmo. Finmo is a Canadian mortgage application, document collection submission platform, very easy to use for borrowers. They've got fantastic tech. It is just super, super slick. It's got things like smart docs. So as the client's filling out the app, it automatically knows which documents that the client's going to need. Let's them know that. It's got smart submission notes, which means that when you go to hit submit, there's certain key pieces of data in that application that the lender's going to need, your underwriter, and it pulls them out of the application and puts them into the notes. And then finally, it's connected to the lender spotlight, which means you can search every rate guideline. And before you even hit the submit button, it'll be like, hey, you're sending it to this lender. Be aware, you need these things. And it just gives you that second set of eyes to help you not waste time on files. Check it out at lendescom slash finmo to get a free demo and check out this conversation with Laura. Hey, Laura, welcome to the show. Thanks, Scott. Thanks for having me. So, hey, tell me a little bit about yourself and where you're from. My name is Laura Beam. I am located in Ontario, just outside of Toronto. I live in a smaller town on the east end of the city. Recently joined the mortgage industry. Late 2020 was licensed and joined a brokerage at the beginning of 2021. Okay. And so how did you end up in the mortgage business? Like most people don't think about this. This was probably a second or third career for you. What was your previous career? And then what was the path that led you to become a mortgage broker? Yeah. So second career for me, although it may make you sound really old when you say second or third career, but second career for me. Um, and in 2020, just started to consider some other career choices. My most recent role, I actually worked at Nielsen. We do market research, TV ratings is how most people know us. And I was account executive there working in the US, traveling quite a bit, which actually didn't mind, but I was in the States two to three weeks a month. But when COVID hit and was at home, really started to give just life in general a second thought and wanted to explore different career options. So I did investigate a number of different things. And after networking, 
working with a bunch of people decided on the mortgage industry. I just have a passion for personal finance and real estate, and it was a good fit for my background and what I was looking to do. What was the other option if there was another career that was... I did look into being a financial advisor and to be honest, didn't want the stress of managing other people's money. Although what I've already quickly realized with mortgages. Oh yeah, there's there's definitely stress in mortgages. Oh yes, yes. Uh, These bags under my eyes definitely have had some sleepless nights already with that. So again, same kind of industry, personal finance, but like I said, didn't want the stress of managing other people's money. So landed on this. One of my friends, Peter Mathan, he talks about how he was a financial advisor and you'd rather give people money than take it from them because the financial advisor is like give me your money so i can do something with it mortgage is like hey here's some money buy a house you know yeah. renovate your house and so i think you touched on this but you started part-time and then yeah talking about that you started out part-time from may till when and then when did you go full-time yeah so started in may of 2021 officially joining a brokerage and as probably anyone listening to this podcast would agree tons and tons to learn especially when you're coming from outside of the industry So I spent kind of the first six months just getting to know the processes, the rules, the lenders, things like that. My plan was always to go full time, but wanted enough kind of background under me before I pulled the proverbial plug on my other role, uh, which I did in November of 2021. So I've been full time since November of 2021. Okay. And so how long were you part time? Mm, I'd say kind of six months, like officially before I went full time. And so was there any point you questioned this is the right career for you? Like, is there any point you're like, oh my gosh, what did I get myself into? I should have stuck with Nielsen and, you know, help people decide what to watch on daytime TV. (laughs) Just kidding. It's always hard. And I was prepared for this and still am. It's always hard in the beginning. You're not making kind of a full-time salary living wage. So there's definitely times where I think back about my paycheck and just kind of in general, was that right decision, but kind of knowing where I am now, and I was prepared for that coming in, for that kind of slowdown in income. I wouldn't say there's been any kind of major things that have doubted why I took this role. It is definitely a lot more stressful than I thought it was going to be, especially the lack of control we have kind of as agents, but no, no kind of, oh my gosh, I've made the wrong decision. Okay, you said something, what do you mean by lack of control? So this is for basic rookies, because people have one expectation of what mortgages is. Like, I like real estate, I like numbers, this will be great. Not realizing, oh my gosh, there's a lot to learn, but what control are you talking about? First of all, I would say timeline. So when you're submitting files to lenders, I try and have learned to do the best job you can packaging up the file so that you don't have questions back and forth with the underwriter at the lender. But there's a lot of times where you're under a time crunch, you've got a COF on a file, or you've got a closing and whoever you're working with on the lender side is super busy and can't get back to you. And you just don't have any control other than following up with them to try to get them to look at the file would be one example that I'm talking about. Right. And you said that it's also more stressful than you expected. Give me an example of that. I'm not trying to dissuade someone becoming a mortgage broker, but I just want people to know if you're newer that it's a fantastic career, but it's still work. So what's something well, that stressed you out or like that you, you were you like, have, oh my gosh. You have people's finances and house closings literally in the palm of your hand. And going back to the lack of control, you don't always have the control to turn an approval around super quickly or things like that. I had a closing actually 
that was happening today. And last week, something came up on the file where we had to go back to an exception from the central team. And the folks have a closing in a week, right? And they've gone unconditional, like we need that approval to happen in a week before there's not much we can do. So just waiting for that turnaround to come back from the lender on the actual exception request. I mean, what I have started to realize is all those times that I have been super stressed We've been able to figure it out and we usually ends up being okay with the lender that we're with, but the stress of waiting for that answer is like, I literally have sleepless nights sometimes. Oh yeah. I remember that. Do you underwrite your own files or do you have an underwriting department or what happens there? How do you do? I underwrite my own files. Yep. Okay. In case you um, can't time a little bit of a control freak. So yeah, I, more, I, the I, best <laughs> mortgage brokers do have a control freak gene yeah. running through them. So can you share a file that you lost when you first started out? You can think back and be like, oh, if I would have known this or would have done this different, I would have kept the file. I'd love to share because I like people to see that as a you know, learning opportunity. There is a couple, but one that, to be honest, I feel like there should have been a way for me to kind of win it. I was competing against TD and given that TD's in the channel, probably there should have been something I would have been able to do to get the business myself. But even now, I'm not sure kind of months later, what I could have done differently. I think there's just been a couple where people have come to me, and this is kind of at the beginning stages where you're answering questions. And one thing I have learned being an agent is as much as they try to teach you in the course that everything's black and white, race was a 3944. But when you go to Scotia, you can get an exception. They don't teach you that, right? So at the beginning, I'm a rule follower. So following those guidelines, and then you find out kind of six months later, oh, Scotia will allow you exceptions. And you're kind of going back to the drawing board on what you were thinking in that circumstance. Right, right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, actually. It is not black and white. If it was one plus one is two, they wouldn't even need people to do it. They could do the software. Mm-hmm. And the thing I think people don't often don't realize is how much the relationship matters oh, with yes. that lender. Like the yep. lender relationship, if they like you and you have a good relationship, you're going to get more yeses. Yep. If they don't, it's going to be harder. So can you share, like, what's your best underwriting tip or something that you've learned recently that's been, you know, in, on the underwriting side that you're like, huh, I didn't know this. And now this has been a useful thing. I'm just curious if you have something. Making sure you understand the requirements for each income type. So that file that I was actually just referring to with the exception that we had to go back, it was an older couple, believe it or not, they were in their 80s. And I had qualified them both on income, pension income, and assets. And on the income perspective, one of their pensions was a fluctuating income. And I had qualified them using their T4. So when I provided the bank statements, that's when the bank realized that the income fluctuated from month to month. So then I had to go get another exception. So I would just say, making sure you understand for every single income type, what the requirements are so that you're making sure you're submitting the right paperwork and qualifying the property. The file was strong. It was okay, but we just had to go back for an exception on our original submission on the file. Right. So income type makes the documents change and really you better make sure you got that nailed. So let me ask you this, who are your top three lenders right now? I know this can change, but who are the three lenders that you're finding you're getting lots of love from? Uh, Scotia, MCAP, and Mm -hmm. I would say First National. Okay. And how do you decide which institution the best place to send a file? I'm curious about that. What is your thought process or model that you use to figure out where to send files? It's funny. I would say it is evolving as I go forward. So, and I took Jill's course, which I thought was phenomenal for anyone listening. I really recommend it. But I think sometimes it depends on the circumstance. So as an example, if I need a quick turnaround file, I'm going to MCAP. So it doesn't matter if... 
Scotia has a better rate or there's another lender that has a better rate. If I need a quick turnaround file, I'm going to go to MCAP because I know I'll have a commitment back in a few hours that's almost fully underwritten, if not fully underwritten at that time. So I've tried to allow clients to push me into different products or lenders before I, I want to go with a bank when I should have pushed back given the timing saying we don't have the time to go to Scotia and wait for weeks for a commitment and to go back and forth. So really understanding that it's not just about even the product or the rate, but also what kind of service are you going to get? Does that lender have technology that you need to support extra payments, things like that? Right. That makes a lot of sense. So there are kind of two skills I always talk about when it comes to mortgage brokers, sales and underwriting, which was harder for you? <laughs> which is hard for me <laughs> is sales. So that's okay. why I'm taking a Stevie D's course. But right, sales you're you're Stevie D's uh, cohort. Okay. Yeah. So can you tell me a little bit about your, you mentioned before about your, First sort of six, seven months in the business, how many mortgages did you fund from that May to January of 2021? 10. 10 and about three and a half million in volume. And then how's it gone so far this year? So this is in, you know, what are we at? Month six, I think right now. So yep. halfway through. So how are you in this year? So 12 and five and a half million dollars in volume. And where's your business come from? All referral based, primarily referrals from friends and family. So when I joined the business, I actually sent out 300 different emails to friends and family or close contacts, letting them know. That was my that next question I was going to say is how did your friends and family know what you were doing? So was it a one-to-one -one email or one-to-many? I won't tell them I did this podcast, but it was a copied and pasted that sounded like it was one-to-many. -one. Oh, that's so okay. Changed, but you did have, but they the, were actually sent one-to-one. -one. Yes. Oh yeah, I didn't do text. one blanket email. I changed each one like, hey, Scott, how are the kids? Right. We've gone on vacations um, lately. Yeah. So from the 300 emails, what kind of responses did you get? I would say some immediate responses back, like just chatting. I would say it had to look, but I would say all of those 10 either came directly from those emails or people that I had sent those emails to that had then referred me to other friends and family. Okay. So that list, and then you don't have to get into specifics. So what did you say in the email? So if I'm your friend and you're shooting me an email and I know you as a Nielsen rating girl and you're like, you know, all about the TV. What did you say to get people to pay attention? Explained mostly the reasons that I had made because it's a really big change for me working in the corporate industry for like over 20 years and to obviously being self-employed. So talking a little bit about the change and why I had made it, which is kind of my personal passion for the financial industry and the real estate industry. Okay. So you made it a personal message, but also talking about your passion. And did you ask for business or did you say, if you know anybody or how would you do there? Yeah. So in the beginning, I think I said, like, if you know anyone that needs my services, let me know. I would say over time, as I continue to do reach outs uh, with people, it's asking more targeted questions. Like if you know anyone that's moving, because a lot of people, of course, almost everyone needs a mortgage, right? Or most people need a mortgage. You're not going to just right. start referring. But you got to go specific. It's too difficult for people to yeah. be like, you know, I know lots of anybody's, but who's the specific right. somebody that I can think about? Right. So the moving one is easy because you know when people are moving, right? For the most part, there's a sign on their lawn or they're talking to right. you as opposed to like my mortgage is up for renewal. That doesn't happen. Oh, that's often. a good question to ask. Yeah. Everybody's moving. And then how often are you doing the follow ups? You did the 300 emails. How long did that take you approximately? And then how often are you following up with these people? I think I set a goal for myself to have that done in kind of six-ish weeks. And I was working at the same time. So I think I did that over like six weeks to two months. I would not say actually I have been great on friends and family follow-up. Instead, what I'm doing is now 
reaching out to referral partners, whether they're realtors or accountants or investment planners, things like that. I'm doing that on a daily basis. Right. So you're in Steve Diamond's coaching cohort at the Talents Month Academy. So what's been your biggest takeaway from Stevie D? I think a couple things is one structuring your day, like whenever I don't follow the advice and don't get it done first thing, I kind of lose my day, right? Because all of a sudden I'm answering client questions and I'm lost in my email or doing whatever the case is. So I think setting targets and getting them done first thing in the morning before you let the day run away. And also just that it's just a phone call, right? So no one's kind of chewed me up for calling them or like every call has been kind of generally positive or just meh which is okay the math's okay but they haven't been horrible which I have this thought that they're going to be horrible and to be honest it actually has already turned into live deals for me so I know what he's so how many calls are you making a week right now so I, <laughs> I'm on two calls a day we started that okay. one There's no, I'm it's on like two calls, two a, calls day. a day keeps yeah. the doctor away you know it's kind of like yeah yeah uh, and they're totally they're fine. not I'm trying to make them quality calls like sometimes yeah. I'm today I was on the phone with someone for 40 minutes so they weren't like a two yeah, minutes to catch up and call. so one other question before I move on on the list how did you come up with a list of 300 emails so like most people don't have 300 where did you find all these people I went through all of my LinkedIn Facebook and Instagram contacts for people that wouldn't be completely weirded out that I would send them an email letting them know that I had changed careers. And if you found them on Facebook or Instagram and didn't have their email, what did you do there? I messaged them through Messenger. So you just do the same thing, but just through Messenger. Yeah. Yeah, it was a variety. And actually, depending on the person, sometimes I text people, right? Like if they're a texter, I'm not going to send them an email. So it was a variety of like texting, messaging. Different modalities. Okay. All right. So I got some rapid fire questions to ask if you like. So what's one thing people can't find out about you from Google? I kind of feel like you can find everything out from anybody on Google nowadays, but I would say my husband and I have a small hobby farm that started as a bit of an accident, but I sell chicken eggs on the side. For oh, nice. We, we bought an acreage just recently and I would love to be outside more. So if normally I love work, I do love work still, but I'm kind of like, I could see me being like a little farmer out there. Though. Oh, just be careful. We started with six chickens and we have almost 200 animals now. So I know. I, well, we started with two dogs and now we have two yeah. cats and one of them is pregnant. So we're running a whole, like, yeah. you know, this has been a month and a half. So mm-hmm. I can imagine. Okay. So what's the movie everybody should watch at least once? I love Shawshank Redemption. That's my favorite. And then what's three software programs or digital tools you can't run your business without? So I would say my phone, Gmail, and I am now a remarkable user. I'm a big note taker and I still use notes throughout the day for chicken scratch, but I use a remarkable tablet. And do you use that for taking notes with clients and stuff? Yeah. Yeah, I know some of the people that do that as well. And Uh, the lenders helps keep the lender notes organized and things like that. Right. What's the best advice you received as a new mortgage broker? to find a mentor hands down it doesn't matter how much training you do those quick like hey i've got this file or what do i have to submit from a compliance perspective for a reverse mortgage just to have someone you can ask, you can ask questions, questions yeah to. you do need to get support and then yeah. knowing what you know now is something you do differently if you're starting over again tomorrow so if you had to start today well probably start those reach outs and ongoing reach outs faster and keep them up yeah most people say that they say i should have done that sooner you know it's like mm-hmm. yeah because sometimes what happens is you'll reach out to somebody that you've been kind of putting off in six months and say, oh, I just did a mortgage. And like that the amount of, you? yeah, 100%. Because when I started sending the emails, it was spring of 2021, probably more towards summer. And but that you've was been when licensed since November. Yeah. And it yeah. was a purposeful decision. I wasn't just putting that off, but because of the decrease in rates, the amount of people that 
had just refinanced, which you knew they actually had just refinanced. They weren't just giving you the story. I knew they had just it refinanced. It was true. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Okay. Yeah. Where can people find you online? Beam Mortgages. So B-E-H-M Mortgages.com. Awesome. One time I had a server. His name was Moonbeam. <laughs> He's like, my parents were hippies. Yeah. <laughs> like, <that's hilarious. laughs> like noted. Yeah, noted. Uh, but Beam, that's a cool last name. Mine is kind of like, you know, it's good. It's okay. But all right, Laura, it's been awesome to chat with you. Congrats on your success. It's cool to see what you're doing. And I know that you're also doing some stuff with Hannah, who's amazing. She's one of our coaches and love Hannah. So congrats. And um, we'll have to have you back at some point in the future and see how things are going for you. Awesome. Thanks for having me on. All right. Thanks again for listening to my conversation with Laura. Hopefully you picked up a couple nuggets from that. I love how she shared about reaching out and getting, you know, those first 10 files from her network and her underwriting tip was also pretty awesome. If you're a new agent and you're trying to build your business, one of the things that we coach our agents on is what we call your personal pitch and then your no pressure pitch. And so your personal pitch is when you meet people who knew you as one thing, how do you explain to them that you're doing a new thing? And then the no pressure pitch is basically how you get people to refer you, even though they know you're new and they know you're inexperienced. You know, in Laura's case, she had people that were still willing to take a bet on her, but sometimes they don't. And so what do you do? So we show you that. If you were interested in finding out how we can help you, go to rookie2rockstar.ca. Got a webinar there. We'll walk you through, show you exactly how we help new agents. In this upcoming segment, I talked to Ben about what happens if you have reverse mortgage and prices go down. Hey, Ben, welcome back to Ask the Experts. Hey, Scott, good to be back. So, hey, a topic that's been coming up a lot lately, just given what happened with interest rates, is, you know, what happens if house prices go down in particular? What happens if they go down if you have a reverse mortgage? And I know that you get this question. And so why don't we jump into explaining to people what happens if house prices go down and you have a reverse mortgage? Yeah, sure. Well, Scott, I think, you know, as we were just chatting about before when we started recording, like I think both of us are of the view that home prices are not likely to go down significantly. But nonetheless, we do hear from clients time to time, you know, concerns about what would happen if their home price were to go down and they had a reverse mortgage in place. And so the first thing we tell them is that, you know, between us, in terms of the reverse mortgage you have with us, nothing, nothing changes. Okay. And the reason for that is this, there is no loan to value cap on a reverse mortgage. Okay. And there's no lender callability unless you default on your property taxes or home insurance. Okay. So that means that even if the market value of your home got cut in half, your home is yours. You can stay there as long as you want. We can't call the loan. Nothing happens. Very different, obviously from a HELOC, or other mortgage products, where as that loan to value ratio starts to creep up, the lender can call that loan and call it back. You're going to have to sell that home and move out. If you have concerns about home price falling in the future, a reverse mortgage is a product that allows you to set it and forget it and not worry about the impact of that. One of the things that I don't think people realize is that online credits are always callable. And they're callable yeah. even if you're not in default. So I've seen situations where business owner has line of credit with the bank. They see that the business owner's business isn't doing well. And they say, we want our money back. It's not you, it's us. Yeah. And I had a friend this happened to back in the 80s when interest rates shot up and he had six stores, businesses were doing good, even during the recession. And he went into the bank, said, hey, come in, bring your account. We need to talk. And he's like, we want our money back. He said, what do you mean? I haven't missed any payments. Yeah, but they need to shore up their balance sheet. And so they called his and collapsed all six stores. So this is the thing people don't understand that they can absolutely phone you up. And even if you have never missed a payment, say, give me back my money. And now you're forced to sell or who knows what you need to do. But with a yeah. reverse mortgage is specifically engineered to prevent that. You can't do it. It's basically you're locked out of that option as a, a lender. So exactly. Um, okay. What's the next kind of thing people think about? 
So some people wonder, okay, so we just talked about kind of that idea of the loan to value ratio creeping up. Could the loan get called back? Could anything happen? The answer to that is obviously no. So then people ask us, so what happens if the, you know, the loan balance were actually to go higher than the value of my home, you know, over time, am I going to owe, you know, more than the value of my home? And if I don't have other assets, how would I or my estate pay that back? So the answer is that, you know, all legitimate reverse mortgage providers in Canada, the US, the UK, we all offer something called the no negative equity guarantee. At Bloom, we call it a home equity guarantee. But basically what this is, basically the promise that we all make you, that the most you'll ever have to pay is the lower of your loan balance or the fair market value of your home. So let's just say, for example, say your loan balance, say your client stayed in their home for 25 years, the loan balance grew to a million, but their home was only worth 750000 they would not owe us a million. They would owe us 750000 So that cap, that no negative equity guarantee is a really nice feature of the reverse mortgage product. Right. Yeah. And you guys basically have to eat that loss, which people yeah, don't that, realize. Yeah, that is so. our loss. We take two types of risk. We take property risk and we take longevity risk, right? So the only two things that the homeowner has to be responsible for are insurance and taxes, right? And then, yeah. of course, not letting the property like, you know, fall apart. Like, don't, yes, don't exactly. burn it to the ground. But in most homeowners, that's not the issue. Okay. So what's sort of the last sort of point on what happens to your reverse mortgage values go down? Yeah. So one of the sort of the last things we talk to customers about is a lot of people have some confusion about, you know, if their home price goes down and they have a reverse mortgage, they don't have a reverse mortgage, what the financial impact is to them. And what we try to explain to people is that there is no difference. Say your home is worth 500000 and then it declines to 400000 and you don't have a reverse mortgage in place. How much do you lose? You've lost $100,000 of equity value. Right now, let's say you have a two hundred thousand dollars risk mortgage against that home, and the same thing happens. You've lost a hundred thousand dollars of equity value. It's the same thing, right? So whether or not you have a risk mortgage in place, there's no difference to the bottom line if your home price does decline in terms of you know the assets, the equity that you have in the home at the time, or I should say the change in the equity that you have in the home at the time. And then I'd say the final thing that you know we would say is that you know while you know, we're of the view that we don't think home prices are going to decline, there's enough sort of supply issues underlying you know the price of homes in Canada right now that we don't think that the prices are going to decline. If customers did have that concern and they're looking to maximize the amount of money they could unlock through their home, you know, through reverse mortgage, there's definitely no time like the present, right, to move forward and do that because obviously there's two variables in terms of how much you can access. There's the LTV that we authorized you. And is the value of the home. So if the housing market's at a peak right now, now would be the time to move forward. You'll get a higher appraisal, which gives you a higher value. And back to the whole loss thing you talked about, whether you have a mortgage or not, there's still a loss. It's only realized, of course, if you sell. So like, if you, exactly. have to sell, if you don't have to sell, who cares? When yeah. somebody thinks and you're not going to have to with a reverse mortgage. And yeah, you guys are never going to phone them up and say, hey, value's gone down, you got to sell. And, exactly. and back to the whole callability. Okay, so let's just recap this for people listening and understanding how this works. Yeah, so I mean, just I guess in summary, if you have a reverse mortgage and your home price goes down, nothing happens with a reverse mortgage. It remains outstanding. You can stay in your home as long as you'd like. If the reverse mortgage balance were to exceed the value of your home, you don't need to worry about that. The most you'd ever need to pay us back is the fair market value of the home, and we'd eat that loss. Whether or not you have a reverse mortgage in place and home prices decline, the loss to equity is the same. It's not enhanced because you have a reverse mortgage in place. And there's certainly no time like the present to get into a reverse mortgage if you do have concerns about where the housing market is going. And if you're looking to get, you know, as much as you can out today. Right. That's awesome. So if you guys are listening to this and you want to talk to Ben and his team at Bloom, go to bloomfin.ca. And I know you guys have been growing like crazy in terms of the number of Canadians you're helping and you got a fantastic process. So go check them out. Yeah. Bloomfin. And live in BC now too. Live in BC. Let's go. Let's go BC. Come on, BC. We got lots of seniors in BC. Let me tell you, at least yeah. in my town they do. Okay. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, Scott. 
All right. Thanks again for listening to the show. I appreciate it. Hopefully you got some ideas from Laura as well as Ben. A couple quick things. First, if you're new, as I said, go check out rookie We've got a webinar there. We can show you how we help new agents succeed faster than anyone else. Second, if you want to just get more knowledge, go to othermortgagebrokering.com, set up a free power search account. And you can keyword search all of our past episodes and find exactly where you know keywords were said, whether it's first time buyer, whether it's anything you want, scripting, you know, financial advisor, accountant, realtor, you can jump to those episodes and you can listen and record and basically learn from the experts. Check that out. It's totally free. Thanks again for listening to this episode. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.